It's been a while. <laughs> a lot of travels. Twice to India, right, I think, since we met last. So we will have class all the way up until February. <laughs> yeah, the second or third week in February, and then we'll go to India again with your travel agency uh, <laughs> um, for two, three weeks. And then again, then after that, class until uh, the wedding, my son's wedding in July. I'll be here, Krishna willing. So we are reading from, we at least know which book we're reading from, the Srimad Bhagavatam, that much we're sure of. <laughs> and we know the canto, the fourth canto. And we were in the middle of the 13th chapter when we uh, ended last. <clears throat> and it's a whole fascinating story. Uh, well, it's pastime, or, yeah. Um, won't give it away all now, but just that uh, <clears throat> let's see. So Maitreya is speaking, right, to Vidura, and he's talking about the uh, King Anga, and he performed this sacrifice, and none of the demigods showed up. That's like, you know, you, you, you know it's like, uh, you could just imagine what that would be like, you know. Um, you, oh, thank you. You, uh, you have a party, or you have a satsang, and you invite everybody, and pretty much you expect them to show up, and no one shows up, you know, and you're kind of wondering, hmm, I wonder what happened, right? So we find out uh, what happened. Now, just to give you a little overview of, the, of the, what's coming attractions. Uh, so, yeah, no one shows up. Part of the reason is that uh, uh, King, um, so King Unga is a great devotee. He didn't perform any sins in this life, but he had performed some sins in his last life. And he's so, and you know, talk about, you know, have to be careful who you marry. So he married uh, the daughter of death personified. And that didn't help any. And so he had this rascal son named Vena, which we'll be reading all about Vena. And he was just terrified. You, you, could you imagine, like, if you have a child, and uh, just like Govin when you, were, when you were younger, and if you went out to play and you came back and you had killed a couple of your friends you know, on the playground? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Right, you know, that was just your, like your normal day in the playground. And that's what Vena was like. That was exactly what Vena was like. He just, you know. Uh, so, you know, he was just uh, terrible. And he was so bad that in frustration, so you can imagine Jiva Tattva Prabhu, you know, after, if, if this happened like day in and day out and, you know, all these problems, Jiva Tattva one day might just say, listen, you know, uh, Anantarupa, I'm going to the Himalayas. You know, I'm out of here because that's what that's what uh, uh, Anga did. He 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 didn't. He actually didn't tell his wife. We're gonna we're gonna. This is what we're gonna hear in the next cha coming chapters. He just left. It was just so frustrating. Um, and so then all the rogues and thieves in the in the in in the country started you know flourishing because there was no king, there was no government. It's like there was shutdown. You know, but this was the sh uh, entire government shutdown with no law enforcement agency working. Right, it wasn't just eight hundred thousand employees like the one we just had. Um, 
And so the, the saintly persons who normally don't get involved in these things, they decided that we got to do something out of compassion for this. So they said, well, at least, you know, hopefully we can, we can uh, transform this vena and preach to him and, you know, give him some good guidance. But we need to do something that the thieves and rogues are, you know. So they made him king, and the thieves and rogues ran into the caves out of fear, right? Because here's somebody who was killing his friends when they were, you know, on playgrounds, let's speak of. But he also was a terror to the brahmanas and to, to religious life. And so finally, they decided he, he had to go. And so they did, they did a rare feat, was they killed him with high-sounding words, it says, by their mantras. Then they were, then what to do? And they said, well, his body isn't totally useless because he's, as we've just been hearing, he's a descendant of Dhruva Maharaj. So there must be something good there. So they did something that you couldn't, this was in such a yuga where you could do things like this. They churned his body, and at first came out some of the, the sinful reactions uh, in a, a person named uh, uh, Bahuka. And then they churned his body more, and out came the, the uh, Sakjavesh avatar, Maharaj Prithu, and the uh, plenary, no, not the portion of a plenary portion of the goddess of, of fortune, um, and her name was Archie. And then there's all these chapters that we're going to read about the glories of uh, King, King Pritu. And then finally, Pritu leaves this world. Uh, he, he did so many things, chastised the earth and, and uh, ruled the kingdom wonderfully and had this wonderful conversation that we're going to read about with the four Kumaras. And finally, he gets very old and he leaves this world. And uh, his descendants, one of his descendants is... Uh, is Barhisat, or sometimes called Prachini Barhisat. And Prachini Barhisat has all these sons called the Pratetas, who meet Narada Muni and want to perform austerities. And then Mar Narada Muni preaches to King Prachini Barhisat, who is very kind of fruit of activities oriented. Um, and he preaches to him in a very wonderful way. He, he, he instructs him by telling a, uh, a not a metaphor, what, a uh, analogy? Would that be the right word? A, no, that's not the word either. Anyway, uh, a story about him, but he, but he camouflages it by saying it's a king named Purunjana. And then that goes on for four or five chapters. So there's all this wonderful things going on in the fourth canto. And we are in the midst of it right now, um, hearing about King Unga's sacrifice that didn't work very well. Okay? Om Ajnana Timurandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha. Text 27. Nice to be with you all again. Hare Krishna. Yeah, finally, yes. Uh, o King, we know that the paraphernalia to perform the sacrifices well. So they're trying to come up with what went wrong, right? What went wrong? So, O King, we know the paraphernalia to perform the sacrifice is well collected by you with great faith and care, and is not polluted. Our chanting of the Vedic hymns is also not deficient in any way, for all the brahmanas and priests present here are expert and are executing the performances properly. So it's just like, it reminds me a little bit, we did this small engagement ceremony for my son and his fiance in, uh, in Vrindavan a few weeks ago. And so Gopi, my son, has all these friends that he grew up with, and they're still there. One's in charge of the MVT, and one's in charge of the MVT restaurant. And so they, they, you know, we needed all this stuff, you know, all the different paraphernalia that you need to do a small gathering. Uh, 
and they, you know, they just knew exactly where in Loipas are to get everything, and you know, because they, they, you know, and they just picked it up all and brought. It. If I would have done it, it would have taken me all day or two days, but they knew all the right people to talk to, and they speak Hindi and everything. And so these people were also uh, the priests were expert at collecting all of the paraphernalia that was necessary. They didn't make didn't make any mistakes. So the purport says. It is the practice of the Brahmanas conversant with the science with the science to pronounce the Vedic mantras in the right accent. The combination of the mantra and Sanskrit words must be chanted with the right pronunciation, otherwise it will not be successful. In this age, the Brahmanas are neither well versed in the Sanskrit language nor very pure in practical life. Right? Um, but, by chanting the Hare Krishna mantra, one can attain the highest benefit of sacrificial performances. Even if the Hare Krishna mantra is not chanted properly, it still has so much potency that the chanter gains the effect. So this is really good news for people like me. Because I'm sure those of you here, especially those who know Hindi and some Sanskrit, know, oh God, Brajabihari just can't pronounce things right. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, we don't get things uh, so well. I know Lokanath Maharaj wrote a whole book on pronunciation, and, you know, he just sometimes has to go like this when a devotee's giving class, and just, you know, uh, and there's certain things that are really important, right? Uh, like uh, we say, yasya uh, prasada, bhagava prasada, yasya prasada, and it has to be, otherwise, it has totally changes the meaning, <laughs> right? All right? Or, you know, uh, and so many things. So, we're lucky that pronunciation is not the essential item. Um, and Prabhupada would sometimes talk about this when he would quote one short section of a verse from the Chaitanya Bhagavat. Uh, and I'm even going to pronounce this right. Bhava, not Bhava. No, no, it is. It, it's a long A. Bhava, Grahi, Janardana. Right? Bhava means the material world, and Bhava means like love and mood, right? Affection, yeah. So, bhava grahi janardam. And the, the translation is, at the time of offering obeisances to Lord Vishnu, a foolish person chants um, Vishnaya namaha. This is improper due to faulty grammar. And a learned person chants Vishnave namaha. This is the correct form. But both achieve equal piety by their offering of obeisances because Lord Sri Janardhan sees the sentiment of the living being. In other words, he sees the degree of devotion. Okay? And then one more point. Um, this is Prabhupada talking to his uh, disciples about the Guru Vastika prayers. Right? When, especially the, 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 of the eight verses, the last line is repeated in each verse. Vande Guru Sri Charanaravinda. And just like you are chanting, you are the mantras because it is not your language. So sometimes it appears broken. Just like guru, sometimes you say guru. Guru means cow, and guru means spiritual master. So the difference of meaning is vast, and he starts laughing. The spiritual master is not a cow or a bull, and he laughs again. But sometimes because it is not your language. But that doesn't matter because Baba Grahi Janardhan. Krishna is within you. He knows what you want to chant. Therefore, he takes the meaning of guru, not goru, even if it is spoken goru. That doesn't matter. Bhava grahi janardhan. He, Krishna, knows that, that what you are actually, 
Just like I know that although you are speaking to Guru as Guru, I, I don't take offense because I know that your desire is something else. I do not protest, and Prabhupada laughs again, that you are addressing me Guru. I am not Guru. It, that, so that is not a fault. So um, it's nice to know that. At the same time, it's good if we can learn proper pronunciation, at least as far as possible, right? You know, um, I remember when I was a, I was a new, just coming to Krishna consciousness, and I was in Vrindavan, and I was doing Vrindavan Prakrama, not Parikram, right? Parikrama, I learned, that's what we learned, right? Um, and uh, I ran into one of Srila Prabhupada's godbrothers, because, you know, this was 1978, so a lot of them were still in this world. And he, uh, he, uh, he says, give me a Bhagavatam verse, right? So I had just memorized the prayer to Lord Nishringadev, Om Namo Bhagavate Narasinghaya Namaste Daste Daseya Virabhira, the prayer that Prabhupada says we can pray in the fifth canto um, to overcome our material desires. But I was like, you know, brand new, you know, and I got all the pronunciation. He just said, I think I know the verse you're quoting. <laughs> so, you know, in order to represent Srila Prabhupada nicely, we could, for example, um, you know, read Lokanath Mars's book. Or I'm sure most of you in this room do pronounce things correctly because uh, you know the language, or at least you know Hindi. Um, but, so it's good, as we're representing the spiritual master, uh, Srila Prabhupada, to, uh, to be good in pronouncing things. But as in, our, in terms of our personal relationship with Krishna, it's so nice that Krishna is Baba Grahi Janardhan. And uh, he accepts the essence of our devotional attitude. Some thoughts? Yes, Jiva Totwa. Did I pronounce that right? Totwa. Yes, Prabhu. Hare Krishna. So, it reminded me when you were uh, you know, sharing so many Prabhupas, uh, you know, during his time, how he identified the need. And once when, uh, in Vindavan, he would take the Western devotees and he would try to kind of like impress upon so that more Indians would take to Krishna consciousness. On one occasion, he said, yeah, she knows uh, Brahma Samhita. He pointed to Yamuna Mataji and... He said, start singing. Yamuna Bhati was thinking that I only know the first five verses. <laughs> so she started singing and she sang to the fifth one. And he said, stop, just in time. And then he said, see, they know it all. And then, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and one Indian gentleman said that, but their pronunciation is short. And Prabhupada's response was, their pronunciation may be short, but their renunciation is perfect. Yeah, yeah, right. So, so Bhava Grihijanardan. Yes. Yeah. Other thoughts? Yeah, it's kind of like the, the story of who's it, Shamananda Narotamadas Thakur, and who was the other word person? They they brought the the grunts, the, the great Srinivasacharya to uh to Bengal. And they what was how does the story go? There was this one scholar, right, that was kind of critical of them, isn't it? Yeah, in the marketplace. And, and so, uh, you know, the, well, they, the concern was that, these were not, that they were not very learned, right? Yeah. That was the concern. So they, so they came 
I won't, I'll, I'll make a long story short. But they came to, the vill- to a village uh, where, um, where they were staying, right? And uh, they, they had the, the devotees who really knew the, the Sanskrit pronunciation very well and could speak Sanskrit uh, dress as like, you know, a pond salesman and, you know, you know, like selling coconuts or whatever. And um, people, you know, the persons would come uh, the persons who wanted to get into a debate with them would come and get their coconuts or whatever and see that the person would speak perfect Sanskrit to them. And uh, they're like, how is it that you... Oh, and they said, no, everyone in this village speaks perfect Sanskrit. We're disciples of Narottam Das and Shini. <laughs> and they said, okay, we're not going to go for a debate if the, if the coconut salesman can speak that well. <laughs> yes, but this is so nice that Krishna, um, he speaks all languages, you can pray to him in Telugu, you can pray to him in Hindi, you can pray to him in Japanese, you can pray to him in Mandarin, in English, uh, in any language. He knows all languages. Um, and we can, uh, and Krishna accepts bhavagrahi, Janardhan. He accepts the uh, essence of a devotee's sentiment. And even it says, Vedeshu uh, durlabham, adurlabham atmabhakto. Right? That just knowing the Vedas, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to know Krishna. It's because Vedeshu Durlabham, it's difficult to know Krishna. But Adurlabham Atma Bhakto. If you, bec- if you love Krishna, if you, have your, uh, if you have the bhakti sentiments for Krishna, then learning about him and knowing him becomes very easy. So I thought that I would read that to you. I thought it was a nice uh, passage. Anything else on this? Okay, next verse. Next verses. So, dear king, we do not find any reason that the demigods should feel insulted or neglected in any way. But still, the demigods who are witnesses for the sacrifice do not accept their shares. We do not know why this is so. Maitreya explained that King Unga, after hearing the statements of the priests, was greatly aggrieved. At that time, he took permission from the priests to break his silence and inquired from all the priests who were present in the sacrificial arena. King Unga addressed the priestly order, My dear priest, kindly tell me what offense I have committed. Although invited, the demigods are neither taking part in the sacrifice nor accepting their shares. The head priest said, O king, in this life we do not find any sinful activity. Even within your mind, wouldn't that be nice to have that level of purity? Right? So you are not in the, least, uh, in the least offensive. But we can see that in your previous life, you performed sinful activities due to which, in spite of your having all qualifications, you have no son. So um, they, there's so much, even in that one verse, right? because we understand we have previous births. right? Krishna says, Dehino shminyata dehe komaram yobaram jara tata dehantara praptir ndhiras tatra namuyati dati. Uh, the embodied soul continually passes in this body from boyhood to youth to old age. And the soul similarly enters another body at the time of death. And a wise person is not bewildered by that. So that's, that's, what's kind of being, that's what's being explained here, that he had a previous life where he did make some mistakes. And what's also interesting is whatever we've done in our previous lives, we can't take it back now, right? What's done is done. And uh, even the mistakes that we made yesterday, <laughs> of course, you can maybe go to the person if you injured someone and apologize or whatever. But, you know, um, 
lamentation about the past is another form, uh, can be another form of illusion. You know, we, we quoted that, that poem by Bhaktivinoda Thakur so many times. Forget the past that sleeps, nor in the future dream at all, but be in times that are with thee. And fortune, is it? And fortune ye shall call. Right? Or, right? So, um, and Krishna says this in the Gita also, na sochati, na kangshati. Right? That a, a self-realized person isn't absorbed in lamentation or, or uh, you know, um, too much hankering for the future. But it's, so the only time we really have is the present. So we should try to develop our devotion now. Not like, oh, Bhagme, you know, sometime in the future. Right? Right. And so King Anga, uh, in one sense, at least now he knows the cause of what's going on. Right? Um, and that's helpful to know. Right? You know but, um, but he can't do much about what he did in the previous lifetime. Only to act in this lifetime properly. And uh, karmani nidahati kinchu da bhakti bhajam. That by performing bhakti, we relieve ourselves of the reactions from previous lives. Any thoughts on that before we continue? There should be some piety for him to be born in the succession of Dhruva Maharaj. Definitely. You know, it's not, sometimes we, we read the Shastra and we think it's kind of black and white. There's all kinds of gray. And even to become a, a leader, one has to have some car, good karma. Even our president, anyway, let's not go there. But, uh, but you know, uh, it takes something to become a leader. It takes some, some karma. So he, of course, had so many, he didn't commit one sin in this life, right? So, yes, so most of us are kind of a kitri, right? We have a combination of things, right? Just like in a kitri, you have rice, you have dal, you have all these things. Um, but his kitri was quite good, actually. But there was something. Yes, Andy. Microphone? Well, if you, if you think about it a lot, you can get into a lot of complex ideas about karma and everything. But I can do a spoiler alert because we're going to cover it anyway. Spoiler alert, okay. <laughs> According to the plot, this has to happen. He has to have a bad son, right? So this whole setup is to get him actually eventually in a better place. So yes. What can you say in the face of that? I mean, well, and we're gonna and we should talk about that because I think we probably all have. I'm sure we've all had experiences in our life where something that seemed at the time to be a reverse turned out to be a blessing in disguise, or what we say a silver lining of the cloud. And I think we probably all had those kind of experiences in our life. And here, um, Anga is going to have that big time. It even made the Bhagavatam. It was such <laughs> a big thing, right? You know you've hit the big times when you're, you know, your, your story hits the Srimad Bhagavatam. <laughs> or, right? but, but yes, but we've all, in our own small-time ways, I think, had, had that experience. And when, but when we're going through it, it's not very pleasant. But if we can kind of take a helicopter and look down on it and see... Um, the bigger picture. Whoops. Let me turn off my internet here so that nobody tries to contact me by Skype. <laughs> um, 
Yes. Well, let's let's we'll get to that in a few in a few verses. But but it's, since you brought it up, yeah, that's it's um, so as difficult as it is in a intelligent devotee as they're going through some challenge, ask themselves what is the lesson that I'm supposed to learn here, not with 2020 hindsight, but as far as possible, trying to do it as it's unfolding. You want to add something? Yeah, of course. Well, I think this happened in a time long, long ago and far, far away. Right? <laughs> yeah, they're in a distant universe. <laughs> they're even saying that uh, some of these uh, things can't be performed anymore because you don't have the quality of... Yes. And so you have to factor a lot of this out because, like, even is there anyone on this earth today that can offer something to God and tell whether he accepted it or not? I mean, it'd be pretty hard to find someone like that. So I think this is... You have to take the stuff that's relevant now, and some of it is yes. only relevant in this time frame. That's, yeah. that's, well, I think that's an art to reading any scripture, um, is to take the essence. It, it, we've, we've spoken many times in the past about the difference between principles and details. Right, So we're not going to do a whole lot of Vedic sacrifices inviting the demigods here because they probably would like blow, blow us off anyway. But at the same time, uh, Srila Prabhupada would say things like, um, even in um, the original temple, in uh, it's not in Soho Street before, it was in Bury Place. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a street in London. And he had a special Vyasa-san set up for Lord Shiva. Because he said Lord Shiva used to like to come and listen to the kirtans. So, and also in the first canto, uh, the Bhagavatam Prabhupada even says that uh, the best way to stop death is to invite Yamaraj to a kirtan. Because then he's too busy absorbing the kirtan. But anyway, the idea being that, uh, that there's a different way to attract great souls in this, in this age. Hare Nama, Hare Nama, Hare Nama, Eva Kevalam, Kalo Nascheva, 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 Gatirin Yata, that by the chanting of Krishna's name. And Krishna certainly appears, and Krishna doesn't come alone, right? With that, there was a time also, um, just like we were saying, how he held a sacrifice and the demigods didn't show up, right? So one time in London, again, the devotees rented this whole hall, and practically speaking, no one came. And the devotees were really dejected. Oh, Prabhupada, we, you know, we spent so much money renting this and no one came. Prabhupada said, you did not see Narada Muni? He was there at the kirtan? <laughs> the devotees were like, oh, okay. <laughs> it was a great success. <laughs> right? uh, so yes, but, that, but it is important to be able to differentiate between um, details and principles and try to extract the essence of something that happened so long ago. Yeah. Okay, shall we continue? Um, o king, these are the priests are continuing. We wish all good fortune to you. You have no son, but if you pray at once to the Supreme Lord and ask for a son, and if you execute the sacrifice for that purpose, the enjoyer of the sacrifice, the Supreme Personality of God, will fulfill your desire. When Hari, the Supreme Enjoyer of all sacrifices, is invited to fulfill your desire for a son, all the demigods will come with him and take their shares of the sacrifice. The performer of the sacrifice under karmakanda activities achieves the fulfillment of the desires for which he worships the Lord. So here, uh, we're making, we are, so we're hearing about sacrifices 
and they are part of the Vedic tradition. But we should also know that, as Prabhupada puts in um, brackets here, that karmakanda activities means still activities. We follow a Vedic system, but we still want something for ourselves. There's still a, a big what's in it for me kind of thing. Um, and it's material desires, wanting something in this world. Whereas a devotee, ideally, or at least ultimately, tries to come to the position where, my dear Lord, I'm yours, do with me as you wish, I'm your servant, I just want to please you. That's pure devotional service. Now we may, usually we're mixed. Again, Kitri, right? We have, you know, we will, you know, we have a little what's in it for me, but we also know, at least theoretically, and through practical experience, that when we're really thinking, just focusing on Krishna's pleasure, we're much happier. It's a, it's a very uh, interesting um, counterintuitive uh, formula in this world. The more we think about our own pleasure, the more pleasure is just beyond our grasp. And the more we think of Krishna's pleasure and don't think about our own pleasure, the more happy we become. That's an interesting formula in this world. The purport says, in the Bhagavad Gita, the Lord says that he awards benedictions to the worshippers according to his desire. Does anyone know a verse like that? Yeyitamam Prabhajante, in chapter 4, verse 11. There's others also. Yanti Deva Prata Devan, Pratinyanti Pratin Prataha, Bhutani Yanti Bhuteja. That if you worship the demigods, you get this resort. You worship the ghosts and spirits, you get that. You worship me, Krishna says, you come to me. Um, the Supreme Personality of Godhead gives all living entities conditioned within this material world full freedom to act in their own way. But to his devotee, he says that instead of working in that way, it's better to surrender unto him, for he will take charge of the devotee. So this brings up a very important verse in the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 18, verse 63, right, where Krishna says, Vimrish yaitat asheshena yateshjasi tatakuru. Right? He says that, um, so, um, I, I didn't put the diacritic mark, that's why I'm having trouble with it. But anyway, uh, vim rishya means deliberating. Etat on this, ashesha fully. So fully deliberate on all that I've told you in the Bhagavad Gita, because this is the 18th chapter. And then he says, yata um, as, each chasi, you like, or your, your desire, right? Tata, uh, that, kuru. And then do as you wish to do. So Krishna really enforces in that verse our free will. That he gives us good advice, but it's up to us. We can um, come to the temple on a Sunday and volunteer to do service, or we can you know, go to uh, McDonald's. Right? We, have that, we have that choice. No one's stopping us. Right? Um, we have that free will. So Prabhupada writes here that the uh, Supreme Personality of God it gives all living entities conditioned within this world free, free, full freedom to do, uh, to act in their own way. So Krishna does; he doesn't interfere, but he also gives us good advice. If you do this, this is what happens. If you do that, this is what, that's what happens. Mogasya moga karmana moga jnana vichetasa. Right? He says that uh, if you don't 
if you don't serve, if, uh, if you don't, you know, if you're not spiritual, if you're not religious, um, everything kind of gets all messed up. Moga, <laughs> you know, your your efforts ultimately end because they end at the time of death. And then the next verse he says, but Mahatmanas Tumam Partha Daivim Prakriti Master. But the great souls, the Mahatmas, Mahatmanas Tumam, they uh, take shelter of me in devotional service in bhakti. And they achieve So he gives this, uh, he juxtapositions these two different uh, results so that an intelligent person says, oh yeah, maybe I should try to be a Mahatma. <laughs> you know? Because the other one really, you know. So, so Krishna gives us free will. And that's, um, and the living, what we often try to do in our conditional life is we try to blame anything else, right? When something, you know, uh, you know the, pro- the problem is that person. The problem is my boss. The problem is my, my spouse. The problem is the weather. Uh, you know, the problem is, uh, you know, that person cheated on their exams and got above me or whatever, right? But uh, because we have free will, we also have responsibility. And even Anga has to take responsibility even for something he performed in a previous life. Right? And if, uh, and just like Srila Prabhupada said that um, don't be, uh, like if somebody's treating you poorly in this life, he says, don't be upset at the agent of your karma. So if someone's giving you a hard time, it's actually... They're delivering to you your karma. Please take this and let me slash your tires. <laughs> no, or whatever. <laughs> right? right? So don't, it's, a, it's quite a meditation because often we think, oh, that idiot, that jerk, get him, you know? Right? But it's very different. It turns the tables. If you say, oh, thank you so much for kindly delivering to me what I have coming to me. It's a very different worldview. And it's based on our free will and the free will that we exercise both in this life. So whatever we did in the past life, we can exercise our free will in this life by reacting in a spiritual way, in a Krishna conscious way to things that happen to us. And that's within our freedom. Yes, microphone? So uh, I completely understand like uh, shifting our... Uh, view in a different perspective. Yes. How to see uh, the problems. So, where is the gray line? Like, like, what is the correct way that, like, where we should defend and where we should not defend? Because, like, Krishna himself, like, in Pandava's story, they've been like tolerant for so long. Yeah. And in one point, like, they were just trying to go, and he already did it. Go and just fight. Uh, but in our life, that uh, if we see everything, whatever's happening to us, it's because of our karma. They are, as you said, they are agent of karma. So we can adapt it, and we can change our vision. We can, you know, we can elevate it. I understand that. But is there is anything that we should act on justice, or like just see it as a karma? Well, the idea is that we have. There's kind of like two things going on, right? The philosophical, right, or the theological, and practical. And the, the challenge is that often we think practical first and theologic or philosophy, philosophy kind of, uh, yeah, it's kind of cute, but it does, you know, it's not dealing with the real world. So the idea is try to turn that around and first think philosophically that this person is delivering my karma, but then one does have to act practically. And the, one of the main ways to guide us how to act practically is uh, anakuyasi sankalpa, 
pratikuya shevarjanam, right? To uh, to do things that are favorable for our Krishna consciousness, or sometimes favorable for protecting others, and um, to reject things that are unfavorable. So, I, I, I think I've told you before that I had this great professor once who told me back in the 70s when I was in college, that it's okay to have your head in the clouds as long as your feet are on the ground. Right? So it's good to think philosophically first, but then we, behave, we act practically in this world. Right? You know, if uh, someone is stealing money from the uh, hundi here, right, um, we don't say, well, the temple's kind of getting its karma. You know, and uh, please come again. As a matter of fact, here's the key to the hundi. You don't have to break it open. We'll give you, no. you know what I mean? We, uh, we take practical actions. Um, sometimes we, we, we think in a, in a, we can think in, a, in an interesting way. Like Narada Muni, right, he had all these very interesting kind of disciples, right? And one of them was a, a uh, cobra, right? And so the, everyone in the village was afraid of this cobra. And then the cobra became a bhakta, became a devotee, right? And when, the, when everyone knew that the cobra became a devotee, they weren't afraid of him anymore. Oh, he's going to be like, you know, you know, shanti shanti, right? And they were throwing rocks at him. He was getting pretty beat up. So he goes to Narnamuni and said, what should I do? So Narnamuni says, well, raise your hoods like you're going to attack them. But don't do it. So that was a good practical advice, right? Because you see, I don't know if you've ever seen a cobra. Um, I've seen some huge ones in Vrindavan. And this one, it's beautiful black. You know, and, they, and they can stand so tall, right? If they're a big cobra. It's amazing. And it's really scary. <laughs> I saw one in the MVT, for those of you who've been to Vrindavan. And I, I'm a coward. I ran up to the first floor. <laughs> I know he can't, you know, run up the stairs or take the elevator or whatever. You know? And Dina Vandervu was, was like moving the cobra along. But, but when they went like that, it was like, wow. So um, that was a practical <laughs> advice to not get beat up, even though now he's a devotee. So, so we do have to act practically, but it's good first Okay, so this person's delivering my karma, right? That, so that's true. But I still have to maybe act practically in this world to deal with them. They, they're not necessarily incongruent. Does that make sense? Yeah. Other thoughts on this? So, um, and I, here's, I, I thought this was interesting. The word Prabhupada uses... Uh, um, where is it? Is that the same ones? Full freedom to act, but is what that word take charge. See, he will take charge of the devotee. So I, I googled that word. That word comes up a lot, right? And I didn't Google it. I checked it in the, our database. Here's one quote: One should employ himself in the Lord's service, so that the supreme Lord can take charge of him. Right? Or Krishna says in the Gita, Ananyas Chintayantomam, Yejana Paryupaste, Tesham Nitya Pajuktanam, Yoga Shemam Bahamyaham. That to those who are his devotee, he preserves what we have and he carries what we lack. Right? So he takes charge. So that is uh, a great. Uh, I'm, I'm speaking today at somebody's house this afternoon after the Sunday open house, and they asked me to speak on stress management. 
So what, what, I'm so going to speak, that Krishna speaks in the Gita on different levels of stress management, but this is the ultimate one, right, that you feel sheltered by, by God, you feel sheltered by Krishna. You know, and he's preserving what you have, he's carrying what you lack. He says, Masuchaha, don't worry, be happy. <laughs> There's a song that says that, don't worry, be happy. But anyway, uh, yeah. Any thoughts on this? Yes. I know one thing that we're told that we're supposed to do. Oh, what so are we supposed to do? Purpose, Hold the mic like this, though. If yeah. someone purposely Karyaki. insults God or a devotee, then yes. we're supposed to defend. Exactly, yes. So, that, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Yes, so a devotee can tolerate so many things for him, him or herself. Yeah. But when it's a loved one, when it's another devotee, when it's Krishna, yeah. then they, uh, they take a different approach. That's not a messenger delivering your karma. That's, that's a, a threat and yeah. should be defended. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it just reminded me years ago, years ago, distributing uh, books in, uh, in the airport. And uh, I was with another devotee and the person just uh, told the devotee, get a job. And uh, the devotee said, get a brain. <laughs> And the person says, I got a brain. And the devotee said, use it. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah. hmm. But yes. So one part about becoming a, 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 a devotee of God, a devotee of Krishna, is to become an expert judge of time, place, and circumstance. Desha Kalapatra. That that's one of the qualities of a, of a you know person who really knows how to live in this world, even right, to really know uh, what's the right time, place, and circumstance, and in that time, place, and circumstance, how to act. And we see that with Srila Prabhupada. Sometimes he was just like the you know the sweetest of the sweetest, and something was like fire, and 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 sometimes he would tell one disciple one thing, another disciple something quite different because it was. Time, place, and circumstance. So a devotee is an expert, um, uh, can expertly analyze what is, what is the right, what, what should I do in this time, in this place, in this circumstance. And therefore there's a verse that even says, uh, Vaishnavera Kriya Mudra, that sometimes it's hard to understand the mind of a spiritual person. And even I think we quoted that from Emerson, not, it's not part of the, our tr tradition, but, another, but the Christian tradition where he says that uh, a foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of small minds. He says sometimes to be great is to be misunderstood. So we've told that story. You know, one time a sannyasi came to Prabhupada in his room. Prabhupada's servant was there. And he, Prabhupada said, you are a sannyasi. You should not stay in any place more than three days. Just constantly traveling and telling people about Krishna. And the sannyasi paid obeisances and went, thank you, Srila Prabhupada, went out. And another sannyasi comes a little while, while the servant's still there, right? And Prabhupada said, you are a sannyasi, you should stay in one place and just develop that center. And he said, yes, you Prabhupada, and he went out. <laughs> and then the servant who heard both said, Prabhupada, <laughs> you told what? And he said, you know, in another place, Prabhupada said, do you think a disciple, uh, do you think the spiritual master is like a dull stone that he can't give one disciple one advice and another disciple a different advice according to the nature of that person? 
So sometimes he would be very strong with people who were leaders in the Christian faith and said, thou shall not kill, but you're eating meat. How is that being, how are you following Jesus? And then at other times, when he, uh, especially this time, it reminds me of in uh, Melbourne, Australia, and um, he found these, these, these Christian priests or ministers to be very sincere, and he really appreciated them, and uh, he liked them a lot. And so uh, they, uh, Prabhupada wanted to show them a newspaper article. I think it was about Rathayatra, and the, uh, the, the person said, oh, I'm sorry, I left my reading glasses in the car. And Prabhupada said, oh, here, try mine. And he tried them on, and they, they, worked, they were perfect. You know, he could read. And he just said, birds of a feather. Right, so, so it's said that sometimes a Vaishnava is as soft as a rose and as hard as a thunderbolt, according to time, place, and circumstance. Anything else on this? Okay, should we carry on? What's going to happen? What's going to happen to this, uh, this sacrifice? Thus, for the sake of a son for King Anga, they decided to offer oblations to Lord Vishnu, who is situated in the hearts of all living entities. As soon as the oblation was offered in the fire, a person appeared from the fire altar wearing a golden garland and a white dress. He was carrying a golden pot filled with rice boiled in milk. The king was very liberal. Oh, did I miss a verse that we want to talk about? Oh, yes, no, but I wanted to read something from 35. Prabhupada writes, Sometimes small animals are killed in a medical lab laboratory, or sometimes, what do they say in English? L laboratory, right? Uh, I spent so much time in India, a lot of people you know, use British English there. So. Um, to, in uh, to investigate therapeutic effects. In a, in a medical clinic, the animals are not revived, but in the yagna arena, when animals were sacrificed, they were again given life by the potency of the Vedic mantras. So I just did some research on this because here Prabhupada is questioning. You know, the, uh, so the, uh, it says that each year more than 100 million animals, including mice, rats, frogs, dogs, cats, rabbits, hamsters, guinea pigs, monkeys, fish, and birds, are killed in the U.S. It's only the U.S. Laborato laboratories. <laughs> um, for bio biology lessons, medical training, curiosity-driven experimentation, and chemical, drug, food, and cosmetic testing. Before their death, some are forced to inhale toxic fumes. Others are immobilized in restraint devices for hours. Some have holes drilled into their skulls, and others have their skin burned off or their spinal cords crushed. In addition to the torment of the actual experiments, animals in laboratories are deprived of everything that is natural and important to them. They are confined in cages, et cetera, et cetera. And then this goes on to talk about um, um, the questioning, the uh, efficacy of how helpful, and the, like for one example, um, uh, although at least 85 HIV-AIDS vaccines have been successful in non-human primate studies, as of 2015, everyone has failed to protect humans. So I'm not saying that every time it's a terrible thing, but just giving some background information that it's really amazing how much, um, 100 million only in the U.S. per year. And ideally... Right, a, a, when we say samadarshina, right, Krishna says, uh, what's that verse? Uh, 
uh, well, how does it begin? Vidyaya, vidya Vinaya Sampane Brahmani Gavihastini Suni Chaiva Sopakecha Pandita Samadarshina. That Samadarshina, equal vision, is not just that we see, you know, people of all different colors, skins the same, right? Or, you know, we don't, uh, you know, we, we don't see people from Andhra as different from people from Bihar or people from Alabama or, you know, the same as people from Maine or whatever. But it also means, because that verse says, uh, all uh, other hum uh, living entities and other species. Right? Because it says, Brahmani, uh, Brahmani Gavi Hastini, right? Being elephants, dogs, etc. Right? We understand that everyone has, has a soul. So a, uh, it says that you know, in, in bygone times, a king had to protect all the praja, all the citizens, and the citizens included the animals. So we've gone a long way away from that. And one could say that in animal sacrifices, animals were also killed. Well, at least the idea was that the animals could be revived by the mantra. Again, this was in a different yuga. So uh, a lot of things, you know, just like uh, I know for myself, because uh, of my job, I deal a lot with Native Americans in, in, in America. And most people in, the, in America don't know that they practically exist. They know they've seen movies and stuff but don't know the hardships of actually living in reservations. I know it because I visit them. So similarly, these kind of, you know, killing of 100 million happen in laboratories and things far off from our vision. But these kind of things are happening in Kali Yuga. Any thoughts on this? It's sobering. What was it? 16 million turkeys were killed just in Europe for Thanksgiving or over Christmas it's amazing yes I think for some reason everything people do aggravates other creatures because <laughs> like I was out just chopping up some firewood and I cut off this one piece and this little black spider came out of a hole in the wood so he had a place to live for the winter right until you came along <laughs> yeah and it was freezing cold out there but I spent a couple minutes like making sure there weren't any more spiders in that piece of wood right. but still he had to scramble so it's just that's one of the things I wonder yeah. about. Why do, why are people? We know they're very different, right? But why are they in such opposition with the other creatures who are just minding their own businesses? Well, the thing is that human beings have a special extra duty. There's a verse that says "Jivo Jivasya Jivanam" in the Bhagavatam, and that means that just by nature's law, one living entity is food for another. Right? And if you ever watch, uh, I, w I was going to a de my dentist in um, in Delhi. I always I have this one dentist that I've used for like 30 years in Delhi. Really nice person, actually studied here in America. And he has the National Geographic uh, TV show on in the waiting room, and you have to wait a long time. You know, so, you know trying not to watch, trying to read the Bhagavad Gita, but everything. You know. And a lot of it is Jivo Jivasya Jivanam, right? They see like, uh, you know, lions attacking an elephant. You know, you see, you know, it's not nice to be, it's not so nice to be a dog, or I mean, to be an animal because you're always afraid that a bigger animal can, can get you. But a human being um, has a choice. Um, and we should be uh, as compassionate as possible. You know, um, sometimes you can't, like, everything, I'm sure every time we get in the car, we run over something. You know, um, so some things are unavoidable. But as far as possible, just like you see our Gopal Prabhu, 
the way he takes care of Gita and Vani, our two cows here, right? With such care and such love and affection, right? Uh, those are the, I'm sure those are the happiest cows in the state of Maryland. <laughs> they just, you know, they, they, they get treated with such uh, tender, loving care, right? And you can see that. They, they're, they're, they're pretty fearless. They go up to people and they, you know, quite, you know, a lot of cows that you go, so, as much as possible, we try to uh, do as... One of our principles is ahimsa. Ahimsa is mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita, I believe, five times. And so it, we try to live in this world with as little cruelty as possible. It just, like, even doctors, right, they say, what is the first, the hypocritical oath, right? Do no, do no harm. First, do no harm, yeah. So we try to, first and last, do as little harm as practical. And that also means in our dealings with other people. Generally, uh, just like the six Goswamis, the great uh, devotees of Lord Chaitanya, in one prayer that says, Dira Adira Jana Priya, Priya Karo. That they were Priya, they were dear to the Diras, the people who were great saintly people, and the, as Prabhupada would translate it, the ruffians. <laughs> the not so saintly people. But, you know, ruffians can also be. Uh, uh, appreciative of, of a saintly person. Right. Anything else on this? Okay, so let's hear more about the sacrifice. Uh, what are we up to? 35? We went we, yeah, we went, that's what I mean. We're up to like 30. Let's do 37. The king was very liberal. And after taking permission from the priest, he took the preparation in his joint palms, and after smelling it, he offered a portion to his wife. Okay. 38. Although the queen had no son, after eating that food, which had the power to produce a male child, she became pregnant by her husband, and in due course of time, she gave birth to a son. The boy was born partially in the dynasty, or they will sometimes say dynasty, of irreligion. His grandfather was death personified, and the boy grew up as his follower. He became a greatly irreligious person. After fixing his bow and arrow, the cruel boy used to go out to the, go to the forest and unnecessarily kill innocent deer. And as soon as he uh, as soon as he came, all the people would cry, Here comes cruel Vena! Here comes cruel Vena! The boy was so cruel that while playing with young boys of his age, he would kill them. <laughs> See, Govind, you're my, he's such a nice young man compared to Vena. <laughs> but could you imagine this? He would kill his friends very mercilessly as if they were animals meant, meant for slaughter. After seeing the cruel and merciless behavior of his son, Vena, King Unga punished him in different ways to reform him, but was unable to bring him to the path of gentleness. He thus became greatly aggrieved. The king thought to himself, persons who have no sons are certainly fortunate. <laughs> right? Usually you hear the opposite, right? They must have worshipped the Lord in their previous lives so that they would not have to suffer the unbearable unhappiness caused by a bad son. A sinful son causes a person's reputation to vanish. His irreligious activities at home cause irreligion and quarrel among everyone and thus create only endless anxiety. 
who, if he is considerate and intelligent, would desire such a worth, worthless son. Such a son is nothing but a bond of illusion for a living entity, and he makes one's home miserable. Then the king thought, a bad son, now listen to this, how he's putting a silver lining on it, right? <laughs> a bad son is better than a good son, because a good son creates an attachment for home, whereas a bad son does not. A bad son creates a hellish home from which an intelligent man naturally becomes very easily detached. And Prabhupada writes at the end of the purport, he therefore considered his bad son his friend since he was helping him become detached from his home. Ultimately, one has to learn how to detach oneself from attachment to material life. Therefore, if a bad son, by his bad behavior, helps a householder go away from home, it is a boon. So it's not that having a bad son is a good idea. Right? We don't like all pray to the Lord, please let me give total useless kids. <laughs> right? As a matter of fact, quite the opposite. Uh, Srila Prabhupada has even instructed us that the Garbodang Sangskara, the, uh, the samskara that, that the husband and wife perform just before having union to produce a child is one of the most important uh, samskaras, that they're, they're praying to the Lord, they're chanting extra Hare Krishna Maha Mantra because they're trying to call a good son. Just like Srila Bhaktivinoda um, Thakur, it said that he called a ray of Vishnu, which is Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur. Right? Um, but the point here isn't so much that it's good to have a bad son. The point is, um, or at least what we can take from this, is that even when uh, there's a reversals in, a, in our life, we can find some silver lining. We can find some lesson to be learned. Something that we can... Uh, what is it? What do they say uh, in the West? Uh, uh, if life gives you a lemon, you make lemonade. right? So how to uh, make lemonade out of situations. So that's what Anga did. Ultimately, he just took it as the Lord's arrangement so that he would be detached and, and go off into the forest and renounce, which is what people did in Satya Yuga. It's not recommended in Kali Yuga. Um, so, so, that's, so that's something that I think we can think about. Um, when, it, when, did, when was there a reversal in our life that turned out to be something good? And how good were we at detecting it as something good when we were going through it? It's very difficult when you're going through it, yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, the government shut down. Fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. Um, yes, it's, it's very difficult. But it's, I think we've all had that experience. Anyone want to share any time when they were going through a difficult experience and later it turned out to be uh, wonderful? You have a question? Okay. We'll get you a microphone then. So as uh, Prabhu, as you were reading out these lines that ultimately one has to learn how to detach oneself from attachment to material life, in general I was thinking of family life and how, um, you know, we have so many references and teachings on living an ideal householder lives in Krishna consciousness. So I'm wondering, serving Krishna together, dovetailing things around Krishna, so still there will be attachment amongst family members, right? So uh, with reference to that, 
you know, just if you can throw some light, like... These references mainly deal with uh, materialistically minded people. No, I understand but, that. But for but devotees, if uh, there's even... Prabhupada would say, you know, like normal, uh, he would say different things at different times. But he would uh, often say that if husband and wife are together serving Krishna nicely, there's no need for renunciation. Yeah. There's, there's still renunciation in their life because their focus is not on gratifying each other, but on serving Krishna. Okay. So. And what about um, relationship between parents and children? Same. To a certain level, I mean, the attachment is there, you know. Yes, it's natural. Attachment is there. So therefore we just connect, we try to find a way to connect it with Krishna. Okay. And you've done that. We've been saying some jokes about Govinda, but he's such a nice devotee. And uh, so when um, we're, you're like in, in your situation and many people in this room, when, you're, when the family members are both uh, devotees, then when you're serving your family, you're serving Krishna's devotees. Right? You're not just serving, a, a husband's not just serving a wife, he's serving a Vaishnavi. When a husband is taking care of his family, he's not just taking care of his family, he's taking care of uh, Vaishnavas or Vaishnavis, right? Um, but I, I think I mentioned this before, I, I spent a lot of time, not a lot of time, but I spent some time in China um, meeting the devotees in China. And a lot, it's very interesting phenomena in America and in India, we find that most times matches are made, husband and wife are both, uh, have similar spiritual inclinations. But lots of times in China, one one spouse is a devotee and the other one has no interest. And that's obviously a more tricky situation, right? Even Srila Prabhupada talked about his sister and his sister uh, was, was a wonderful Vaishnavi, um, but her husband was, um, I don't know, I can't say he wasn't a devotee, but he, uh, but at least, you know, which is a big deal in Bengal, he was eating, he ate fish. Right, so uh, so as a devoted wife, she would cook for him. This is you know, 1900s, right? I, I, like nine, like turn of the century. Um, she would cook for him, and then she would take bath and take out a separate pots and pans, and then cook for her takurji, cook cook for her, her deity. And in that way, she kind of <laughs> balanced the two. So the, you know, the the thing is that it, relationships especially husband-wife relationships, family relationships, they're all, they're different. Every circumstance is a little different. So within that circumstance, there's some way to find a way to be Krishna conscious. But it's, it varies and a lot. And also basically I'm relating it to, it all comes down to accept what is favorable for advancement in spiritual life yes. versus, you know, reject what is not. Yeah. Okay, thank you, Prabhu. Definitely. Yeah, and things change over time. But favorable, you know, like when I was a, a, a newly married person, right? I had a certain attitude, and now that now that I've been married thirty years, you know, things are different. And uh, my relationship with my wife has changed over the years, not in a bad way, but you know, in in terms of you know, I think more when my son was young and things like that. Now we're more focused on our services. I think so, you know. Also, um, that's, remember we were saying earlier that a, a devotee is a great uh, judge of time, place, and circumstance? So that also means in our life, right? 
And Lord Brahma even said that Stanestita Shutikatam Tanam Bhagmano Beer. He didn't say, no, just go off to the forest right now. He said, stay where you are. Stita, Stanestita, stay where you are. But spend more time hearing about Krishna. And since you mentioned a devotee is a great judge of time, place, and circumstances, earlier I also uh, wanted to uh, ask you so once we hear this, a devotee is a great judge. It, it, this thing is so deep, like you immediately look back, what does it take to be a great judge? Immediately we are looking at what modes we are in, what is our lifestyle. Even if we are taking Lord's name, but really how are we living our day-to-day -day life? How, yeah. What gives us the ability at any time to take a good decision or be a judge of circumstances? So that really then goes deep where we are. Yes. Yes, thank you. Any other thoughts? All right, shall we carry on? Find out what happens? But you could just, I mean, you can't imagine, right, that you have a child who just you know, goes to the playground and kills her playmates. I mean, it's like, ah! It was really, you know, something else. Thinking like that, King Unga could not sleep at night. He became completely indifferent to household life. Once, therefore, in the dead of night, he got up from bed and left Vena's mother uh, his wife, who was sleeping deeply. He gave up all attraction from this greatly opulent kingdom, and unseen by anyone, he very silently gave up his home and opulence and proceeded towards the forest. And Prabhupada, in the beginning of the purport, says, in this verse, the word mahodayodayat indicates that by the blessings of a great soul, one becomes materially opulent. But when one gives up attachment to material wealth, that should be considered an even greater blessing from the great souls. So it's, it's, it's the, the story of Sanatana Goswami and the uh, touchstone, right? There was this touchstone that anything you touch could turn into gold. And this person uh, was told that Sanatana Goswami has it, right? And uh, so they said, you know, do you have that? Can I, you know, can I borrow it? And he just said, oh, it's somewhere in the rubbish over there. You know, just like, eh. so the guy was running to go get it. And then he thought, wait a second. If it's in the garbage, what is so much more valuable? What does he have that's more valuable that he would just put that like that? And so he went back and then, of course, he learned about Krishna consciousness. So, uh, so we may become, by the blessings of a great soul, we may become material opulent, but that isn't the greatest blessing you get from a great soul. Right. Okay, we're almost done with this chapter. When it was understood that the king had indifferently left home, all the citizens, priests, ministers, friends, and people in general were greatly aggrieved. They began to search for him all over the world, just as a less experienced mystic searches out the super soul within himself. So if you're not very good at understanding the Lord's in your heart, you're not going to find him, right? Or at least experience him. They were looking all over the place. Couldn't find him. When the, citizens, oops, when the citizens could not find any trace of the king after searching for him everywhere, they were very disappointed and they returned to the city where all the great sages of the country assembled because of the king's absence. With tears in their eyes, the citizens offered respectful obeisances and informed the sages in full detail that they were unable to find the king anywhere. End of chapter. So this was... Uh, 
how much affection people had for a, a monarch who actually cared. His first priority were the citizens. That there was so much affection that they were crying today. You know? um, <clears throat> All right. So, how are we doing? We have a few minutes left. Um, let me just see if I had any other notes that I wanted to. Oops, wrong notes. Okay, so we're ready for the next chapter. We'll start the next chapter. So Maitreya is speaking to Vidura, and he says, O great hero Vidura, the great sages headed by Brighu were always thinking of the welfare of the people in general. There's that idea the sages were thinking of the welfare also. When they saw in the absence of King Anga there was no one to protect the interests of the people, they understood that without a ruler, the people would become independent and non-regulated. And Srila Prabhupada writes that in every society there must be an intelligent class, administrative class, productive class, and worker class. In modern democracy, these scientific divisions are turned topsy-turvy <coughs> and by votes, sudras or workers are chosen for administrative posts. Having no knowledge of the ultimate goal of life, such persons whimsically enact laws without knowledge of life's purpose. The result is that no one is happy. So, it seems so far from the reality that, that people deal with all over the world. But the idea in the Vedic system was the king actually was to encourage and make sure that everyone was, uh, uh, had spiritual practices and were happy in their spiritual practice. That seems, you know, these days, if somebody said that, they would, they would not get uh, very far in their political life probably, well, except maybe in certain parts of the country, right? If they prof professed a certain religion. Um, so it's, it's far from what the Vedic literature says is the duty of a politician. It's actually to be always concerned about the welfare of others and very little concern about your own welfare, right? Your own needs. And uh, to be especially concerned that people are happy, and happiness, a Rajarshi, right? So Rajarshi is a combination of two words, right? Raja, king, and Rishi, sage. So a Rajarshi actually understood um, the goal of spiritual life. And, and, um, and so Srila Prabhupada would often say, didn't, we, we don't have to tell everyone that, okay, all of, you know, let's say, uh, let's say Mahamantra Prabhu becomes president tomorrow, right? Uh, not that everyone has to be a devotee of Krishna, but everyone should be encouraged in whatever you know, religious path they're taking to do that seriously and sincerely. Like that. And so that's, of course, to a large extent, lost in, in modern. And that's not just about America. You know, that's pretty much uh, anywhere in the world. Even worse, uh, like, I, like in China, where I told you I spent some time, it's... Um, it, spiritual practices for the most part are pretty much uh, discouraged to say the least right. we had to be uh, very careful about who we spoke to and what we said when we were in China because uh, the government there wasn't very happy yes Prabhu, uh, microphone are atheist and they don't believe in God well um 
Well, what happened in Russia, of course, you know, um, communism is, was basically, especially in Russia, basically atheistic, right? So, you know, so much of your belief system happens in, in, your, uh, in your development stages of life, right? In your early years and what your parents were into and things like that, right? So when, it, when atheism was basically the only show in town, then it's very natural. But when glasnost happened, uh, when, when, when Russia became open, um, uh, many faiths flourish. In, in ISKCON, the Hare Krishna movement, the people were becoming, and they still are, becoming devotees left, right, and center. Um, I was at a festival in uh, Ukraine recently, and uh, generally they get about 13,000 people just to that one festival. That's, that's, that's not, of course, all the devotees. <coughs> so people were really, because um, uh, Sarvasya Chaham Hritishani Vishto, Krishna says in the Gita, that he says, I'm situated in everyone's heart. And Ishwara Sarva Bhutanam, the same thing he says in the 18th chapter. So religion is part of people's consciousness naturally. And so when they were given a chance, uh, especially in these places where it was suppressed for a long time, it really uh, flourished. And similarly in China, and this is one thing the government is a little afraid of in China, that uh, um, especially they've come down strongly on uh, Christian organizations that they maybe feel have been coming too successful. So um, what do they say also? There's no atheists in the foxholes. You ever heard that saying? Yes. Jai Shri Sigourney Thai, Sitaram Lakshman Hanuman, Shishi Radhamadan Mohan. Uh, Srila Prabhupada would also point out that um, if someone really wants to be an atheist, then Krishna gives them the intelligence to how to think like that. <laughs> so even the intelligence to not believe in him comes from him. <laughs> Which is, uh, they pro most atheists wouldn't really want to hear that. They would probably be offended by that statement, but uh, that is... Uh, because Krishna says that same verse that I quoted, matasmatir ganam apohanamcha, that I give uh, knowledge, intelligence, and forgetfulness. If someone wants to forget God, then uh, they can do that also. We were talking about that earlier, right? Free will. So if someone doesn't want to be a devotee of God, God's not going to force them. We have that independence. Yes. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Can Prabhu, thank you. Can you please answer how I might um, combine my Krishna consciousness with political activism? Given, oh, given the well, we are in Washington and we're dealing with are a certain we? climate. We're in Potomac. It's like another world. I, no. <laughs> I keep having to tear between wanting to move to a farm uh, and just give it up, or to continue to stay engaged with my local community. What, what I, well, okay, let's see. First of all, uh, I'll tell you one of the tricky things I find, okay, that many uh, devotees, especially in North America, find, right? This is just very practical. Now we're down on the practical level. That generally speaking, uh, Democrats um, are more open to Krishna consciousness. Uh, you know, they, they, they generally, like, you know, uh, Radhana Swami met uh, President Obama and, you know, things like that, right? So they're, they're generally a little bit more open because in, in, in America, ISKCON is a little bit more of an alternative 
you know, to uh, mainstream Christianity for, and Democrats are more open, you know, uh, right there, that, that their tendency is more inclusiveness, right? As a general rule, I'm not, you know. Uh, however, Republicans uh, will often have um, uh, some uh, moral principles that are more in line for devotees. Because the Bhagavatam says very clearly, this is not like a, you know, uh, a big political thing, with, but just says, it's not, it wasn't a political statement that, that the soul enters the body at the time of conception. So that, one is, so that an abortion is actually killing a living entity. Right? So, so, so we line up sometimes a little bit more ethically so then it's like, well, what to do? You know, it becomes really confusing sometimes, right? Because, uh, and, and, and of course, I'm just stating a general thing. Devotees have their own personal views, and I don't, you know. So um, maybe it, it's a good idea if we want to be active to be in something that we can all agree on. For example, um, uh, you know, um, we could be really radical uh, pre, uh, speakers on vegetarianism, right? On not killing animals unnecessarily, or, or something like that, right? Um, which is a, you know, can, is a political thing, but it's you know, it, so that that's just uh, some thoughts. We could talk about this for hours, right? But just finding a way, um, and also the idea being like, like we've we've specifically, I've spoken to my wife about this. Tried to make this temple. Uh, a neutral grounds. This is, we're not politically aligned. Somebody wanted to give a class on, you know, America Great Again. Another person wanted to give a class on, Mar you know, make America sane again, you know, <laughs> or whatever. And we decided this should be like a, a, a neutral ground. But we're not neutral in, on everything, you know, just politically a neutral place, but spiritually uh, very much in favor of increasing everyone's devotion to Krishna. So, um, so this is this is by the way this is a big topic in um, in many faiths, especially in Christianity, is how much should you be kind of evangelical, just preach the Bible, and uh, and how much part of being a real Christian is to about social justice. And I went to a university, a Christian university, that was very into social justice, right? Um, so as uh and as devotees it's it's just, anyway it's just a, it's an ongoing conversation i'm not going to lay down the absolute uh, truth here but it's something that i think we should be thoughtful about and really consider our principles first and then how do we apply those principles in in our life is that okay thank you and on that note um why don't we uh, we can end here and we will continue Next week, there will be class next week again. And uh, thank you for tolerating all my trips to India and uh, that we had to cancel so many classes. But now we are back on track, 10.30 Sunday. Uh, thank you very much. Hare Krishna. All glories to Srila Prabhupada.
That's an interesting question. I'm not sure of the 